I, I also want to say thank you to those of you who came along to the week of prayer. Uh, the week of prayer is basically all about hearing from God. And so um, during that time when um, we had people praying and things like that, um, there was certainly an opportunity to write what you believe God was actually saying and, and to placing that um, in a box at the door. And uh, it, for us, it was greatly encouraging that the overwhelming response says that God is bringing unity to this place. The people have sensed the unity that God is bringing and that that is ongoing. They, can, they believe that it's going to get stronger and stronger. And uh, we believe that and it was great to have that affirmed by those who came along to the week of prayer. So uh, thank you again for those who attend. So we've got a few questions that we'd like to go through. But before we do that, um, one of the questions was, and uh, the person who wrote it admitted that it was a little bit off topic, but um, they did say... Actually, I'll read it out. Slightly unrelated, but how did each of you come to faith, meaning the pastors? So we'll let Pastor Darrell kick that one off. Thank you. Are the other pastors going to come and yeah, join us? Yeah, they're just giving you your place first. So, <laughs> um, How I came to faith. I came from a non-Christian family. Uh, come, There's a chair right there for you guys. No? All right. I came from a non-Christian family. Uh, uh, I went to church for one and a half Sundays in my life before I became a Christian. So when I was about, I don't know, eight, nine, something like that, my mum got me christened in the Anglican church with my sister and part of the requirement of that was to attend those classes and, and I can remember going to Sunday school. I went the first Sunday and went for the whole thing and didn't like it but for some reason went back the next Sunday but I didn't go. I went from my house to the main street, the church was on the other side of the main street, and I sat on the footsteps of a shop and I waited for what an eight-year-old would think would be about an hour, and then I went home. My mum later told me that was ten minutes, <laughs> so she knew that I hadn't gone. So no pressure for me to go to Sunday school or any of that stuff, but my life was like a three-legged stool. And one of the legs of that was school. I was uh, at school and school was good for me. I was, you know, in the top grades and blah, 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 and it was comfortable. Um, second stool for me was my grandfather, who was my closest loving and relative. I invested in him and he in me, and I spent every afternoon of my school life with him, school holidays with him. I'd finish school, I'd go and be with him, and he, he worked in a hardware store. And so I did that for 17 years. Um, and my, the third stool of my leg was football, Australian rules football. And I started playing that when I was about 12, and I became very good at it, and I was going to make a career of it. And in 1972, um, my grandfather got cancer and died... I was in year 11 at school and I nearly failed. In those days you had to pass year 11 to go to year 12. And I'd never failed anything in my life and I'd nearly failed it. And I was playing football and from the best season of my life, under 16s and had scouts from Melbourne coming and watching and will we recruit this guy or won't we? The very next year I, I lost all of my skills. I couldn't kick the ball properly. I couldn't bounce the ball properly. It was just something was wrong. And I started asking the big questions. When my grandfather died, is there life after death and how do you know and what's the meaning of life? And he was, you know, in his early 60s and he died and I was 17 and I thought, well, what's the point? 
So I became suicidal. And in the midst of all of that, I met a Christian in school. And he gave me a gospel tract. And over a process of months of questioning and reading and started reading the Bible, and I went down to the Randra News Agents and I bought the only Bible they had, which was the King James. And I start, where do you start reading a book? So I started Genesis. And I went, oh, this is pretty good. Strange, but okay. And so there really is a God and blah, blah, blah. And I got to Exodus and the first half of that was really exciting. And then you get to oh, killing animals and what? Turned to Leviticus and that did my head in. Went to Numbers and I just about gave up. Time to go back to school. But on January 15th, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so I'm one of those people, I can actually date the time that I became a Christian. Many people, most people can't, but I can because Malcolm, a Christian, gave me, my time's up, I'm pretty sure, uh, a tract that made sense. And at 4 o'clock on the January 15th, an afternoon in my bedroom, I knelt down and I went, I get it. I have to receive Jesus and ask for forgiveness and I get eternal life. I became a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell. I came to believe that life after death was real. I didn't know where my grandfather had gone, whom I loved with all of my life, all of my soul. And the only question I, I, I knew to ask him was, do you love Jesus? And he said, yes. And I went, oh, thank goodness. And then he died. And I didn't want to go to hell, so I received Jesus. And that was a very real experience for me and journeyed on from, from there. Far too long. You have to be caught shorter. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Where do I start? I was 20 years of age. Um, I was in the army and my life, I was a non-Christian, very far away from God. And I just remember that uh, I was an angry young man. I was empty, aimless, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on in my life. I just followed the crowd. I was in a cavalry regiment, pretty, you know, a, a rough bunch of guys. And uh, so that was where I was. And while I was in that condition, just empty, aimless, what's going on? There's got to be something more than this. Those questions that go on your mind, thinking that I was free, but I was in the worst kind of bondage because I thought that I could do anything that I want when I want. Anyway, so that was where I was. And then my mother contracted cancer. And, uh, and it was a, a very severe cancer that was... And she knew that it was probably eventually going to take her life. But during that time, she had an incredible encounter with Jesus that uh, changed, dramatically changed her life to the point where I could physically see the look in her face that she was a different woman to the one that I had once known. And I can remember specifically going to hospital, being called from the army to go to see mum, who was possibly not going to make it through the night. And I walked into the hospital expecting to see a, like a little frail woman curled up and pale and, you know, in the fetal position. But no, she was, she was actually out of bed. Her face was glowing, radiant, with this smile. And, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? You know, who are you? And anyway, long story short, she came and told me one day, I got called home on leave and I remember just sitting, it was mum and me, sitting around the kitchen table, my father was off at work, and she shared her testimony as to how she met this person, Jesus. To me, Jesus was a bit of a fairy tale. Yeah, he was a name in a book, that was it. But she, my mother was talking about this person as if she had a personal relationship, that she knew him personally. 
And that just bowled me over. So she's telling me these things. And, and, um, and I remember just absolutely being astounded by that. So God was obviously working on my heart. Mum was telling me her testimony. I could see in her face that it was real. Her life had changed. And I just said to her one day, I said, gee, I hope something like that happens to me. And mum didn't start preaching to me. She said, she said these words, never forget them. She said, I'm sure it will, my son. I flew back to, back to the, the army barracks where I was living. It may have even been that very night. Nobody else was around. It was a Sunday night. And uh, I went and had a shower. No one else was there. And, uh, and I, for the first time in my life, I opened my mouth in faith, in prayer. And I said to God, I'm reading this book of yours. I can't make sense of it. No sooner had I said those words that I did have a very powerful physical experience where God literally took my breath away and all I can say is he replaced it with his own. And um, while, and then later on, so this was an experience I had and I just knew that, that I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't know anything else, just didn't know. I knew I had, I'd just met Jesus under the shower of all places to meet him. Some people pray, some people, you know, sing, I, I prayed. And Jesus came in and later on he revealed to me, he said, David, you can wash yourself on the outside, but only I can wash you on the inside. And that's what counts. That's where you need to be washed, on the inside. So that was a real revelation to me. I came out of that shower, had a grin, you know, and I, and I, my life had dramatically changed to when the, the next day I walked down, I'll finish soon, I, I walked down to see, my, uh, to see someone else and when I saw that person they said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so, you know, obviously they saw the difference. Um, and from that point on I just had a desire, I wanted to go to church, I didn't have a clue about church. And I just didn't know and I started thinking, what am I going to do? And I went to all kinds of weird church churches. In the end, I went to a uniting church because that was my background. And a bloke at the end of the, at that church said, David, you ought to check out the Ashgrove Baptist Church. He said, I have a great youth group there. You'd love it. And that was it. And I went there and uh, just stayed there for 20 years. Met my wife there and the rest is all history. Here I am. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, my story, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, when I was 17, I had um, one of those fears of dying and not knowing the God whose hands I would fall into. And so I made what was possibly a life insurance conversion uh, where I did pray the prayer and I do believe that there was a change. Uh, and I was visiting Woody Point. So I went back to Woody Point Presbyterian Church where I had gone to church. My parents were Sunday Christians, possibly still are. Well, actually, no, they're not. They don't go to church anymore. Uh, but um, so I made that commitment. And the crazy thing for me there was this guy who I asked to help me uh, pray and to understand the commitment that I was making had been praying for me for years. And uh, that, was, that was a great encouragement for me even there. But nothing happened after that. There was no one who actually discipled me, showed me that there was more uh, about our Christian faith and walk that there should be. Then uh, when my marriage fell apart, um, I, I came to Brisbane again, uh, travelled down from Bundaberg to Brisbane, and I was, went to Gateway Baptist Church. That was in September 93. And um, I remember being in that place and, and it was an awesome service it was greatly encouraging and everything like that and I just heard God's voice it was possibly the closest I've come to hearing God's audible voice and he just said Charlie are you with me or are you against me and so this is where my faith got serious I mean how do you answer that there's only one answer and so I said yes Lord I'm, with, I'm for you and that was interesting because I went down the front and uh, the, the guy was actually going along he didn't ask anyone what they want to pray for he just prayed for them and he came to me he prayed for me and he moved on and then he stopped and he came back he said I don't know what you're going through but it's going to get a whole lot worse 
And I was like, wow, that's great. And it did. But God's grace was present all the way through that. And it was after that that I got kicked out of the church. And um, I, I, I went on and moved to Rockhampton. And I was asked to actually come back um, years later and uh, bring a message to a brethren church in Bundaberg. And there was people in Bundaberg who said I would never be used by God again. And uh, I came back to this little church, a little brethren church out at Oakwood. And uh, I, I preached a message there. And these four dear old ladies came up to me and said, do you remember us? And I went, no, not at all. And they said, well, we, we used to go to the church that you were a part of. And there's a man, his name's David Stark. Every time we meet with him, he prays for you. And we believe God is going to use you to bring his word to many people. That was back in the 90s. Here I am. Thanks, Brendan. Um, well, my story, I guess, is pretty simple, I guess. Um, I, don't, I don't have a, a hard fixed date uh, in my mind where I think I, I can say that I was Christian before that. I wasn't Christian before that, and then I was immediately after. Um, but I can tell you the influences, and I can tell you how I came to know that that's, uh, that's who I was. And that's, I was a difficult kid at primary school, um, and my parents decided this, this uh, uh, kid's going to need some private education because they might have more resources to handle him. And the private school they sent me to was St. Agnes Primary School at Mount Gravatt. Uh, and so that's where I came to know who Jesus was for the first time in our religion classes, so I kind of understood a bit about him there. Um, and I absorbed that up because I guess I liked the content, but I don't think I was a believer exactly at that point. But in grade six or seven, I think grade seven, one of my best friends at the time, Ben McCrimmon, who I met at St. Agnes, um, had a pocket knife, and I wanted to know where you get a pocket knife from because I'm, I'm in grade seven. A pocket knife sounds amazing. Um, and he got that because they were doing camping stuff with his boys' brigade troop. Um, his boys' brigade <laughs> troop, whoops. They're going to kill me for that. Um, excuse me, his boys' brigade company. Um, and so I t said to my mum, I want to go to Boys Brigade, and so she looked for the closest Boys Brigade to Mako Street, which is just over there, and it is this one. Um, and so I started coming along to 16th Brisbane, um, our Boys Brigade uh, company, and there the, the ministrations and the care of John Northcott and, um, and Robin Rose and uh, all the guys there were really helpful in, in shaping me and informing me and taking what were kind of the, the raw unfinished things that I'd learned at uh, my primary school and the religious education there and making it into something more coherent. Um, and between that and going to Runcorn High and the hard work of uh, good chaplain Les Gomes um, investing in me and spending time with me, I know that there was a point in high school where I decided I'm going to be an atheist because it sounds easy, like you don't have to do anything, there's no requirements. And then like two years after that, I was helping Les Gomes lead like prayer groups and stuff. So obviously at some point in there, God was like, all right, and now, and all those things he'd built up in me uh, took effect. So I can't say precisely when the Holy Spirit like stepped on the gas and, um, and, and made me completely aware that I was a Christian. Um, but it certainly happened in there somewhere. And because of all the, in fact, the, the ministry is very local to this church that our church gets to participate in now. And now I'm kind of full circle back here. So that's delightful for me. That's it. Just before Charlie speaks, just to add to what Brendan was saying is that not everybody, and most people can't, date exactly what happened. Some can, 
But Brendan, like my two kids, who you know are forty in their forties, um, they don't know when they became Christians either. What they do know now is that they are following Jesus now. That they confess that He is Lord and they follow Him. That's the important thing. You don't need to know when did it happen, how did it happen, was it one event? If there is, that's great. If there isn't, and for many of us, it isn't. It's a process that Jesus, my kids would say, Jesus has always been there. All their life. They never know a time when he wasn't there. Uh, but their faith is real and solid. Thanks, Charlie. No worries. So one of the questions that we got um, was, what does it mean when it is said in Scripture, do not grieve the Holy Spirit? And uh, it's a very good question to ask, and uh, all of these questions are very good questions because they've all been asked. They're the types of questions we like. And, uh, but this one in particular, uh, it made me reflect on exactly what this means, and it's a subject that I haven't actually had to uh, present to a congregation, and perhaps I should have before now. But uh, it was an interesting experience for me and to actually read through um, some of the stuff that is actually involved in answering this question. So there's two possible things that we should actually look at, two subjects as we look at grief. Holy Spirit. And uh, the first one um, is from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And uh, I won't get you to turn to it right now, but if you've got your Bibles, grab them, because I will get you to open it to there a little bit later. So 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. And uh, this is an interesting term, and it basically says or implies that my actions... Um, our actions have the ability to restrict, hold back, or even stop Holy Spirit from doing all that he could or would through me or through us. How does that sit with you? For me, it's a bit of a struggle to think that my choices could actually prevent God from doing all that he could in, through, or around me. But that's the reality of the situation. Scripture says God will build his church and he will continue to do that. But whether he does it with me and us or someone else is totally dependent upon our obedience to him. And so we have to keep that in mind when we look at quenching the spirit. Now, the other passage of scripture that we should look at when we're looking at this subject is Ephesians 4.30. And that says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And as I think about this, I'm intrigued, amazed and a little bit dumbfounded. We're talking about God, the almighty, the all-sufficient one. He doesn't need anyone or anything in order to be complete. He is complete in and of himself. But here it says, do not grieve Holy Spirit. And laying at the heart of this is the fact that if Holy Spirit can be grieved... First and foremost, he is more than just a force. He is a personal being because a force cannot grieve. So we need to get that in our minds. This confirms the Holy Spirit is that personal being. So he is part of the Trinity and he is that third member who ministers to us. And by what we've just read, he is a being that experiences emotions. We are told that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made in God's image. And in being made in God's image, he gives us these emotions. So if I have these emotions, it stands to reason that God has these emotions as well. Yeah? And so we are made that way. We are made like God. We're made in God's image. And so when we think about sin, 
I wonder what you think about when you think about when you sin. So many people, when you talk to them, say, well, I've broken God's laws. I've broken his commands. I've done this against what God has taught. When the reality of the situation, when you think about this passage, you have done more than that. You've broken God's heart. And that may be hard for you to get your head around. Grief, as some of you know, is experienced when someone you love passes, when someone you love does something to you that really hurts you. And that's the grief that has been spoken about. When you think about our love compared to God's love, our love is impure. We don't know how to love as God loves. And so because God loves so purely, he grieves so much more. And so grief comes as a result of incredible love. The reality is the deeper you love, the greater the grief. And I'm sure you can testify to that because some of you have experienced that. And so the grief the Holy Spirit experiences is a result of our actions which hurt him. It hurts God and ultimately it hurts us because it damages our relationship with God. And that is why we need to continue to repent and submit to God in obedience. And I want you to hear very clearly and very plainly, God's arms are always open wide. He wants us to return to him. He wants us to repent. He wants us to say we're sorry for the sins that we've committed. And he will always be available for us when we do that to restore that relationship with him. But the question is, what is it that we do that quenches or grieves Holy Spirit? And I think if you've... 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, you can have a look at that now. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13 says, and this is straight from Scripture, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. This is very clearly saying to respect the leaders in the church, respect those who are in spiritual authority over you. I respect Pastor Darrell. I would never speak out of turn about Pastor Darrell to any of you because he is in spiritual authority over me. And we are called the same, to do the same thing. So if you do not do that, you're grieving Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is, again, a call for us about what we should actually do. You, as a people of God, need to admonish the idle. And the word translated idle here actually means disorderly, out of rank, unruly, or idle. That's the translation for that particular word. And you are being called to hold these people to account. You're being called to raise up and say what they're doing is not good. It is not bringing unity to the church. What you're doing is grieving Holy Spirit. God's word, not mine. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Everything we do should be to encourage, uplift, and strengthen those around us, those of the faith, but also those outside the, the church. To go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we look at what was actually said there. And again, we ask, what is it that we do that grieves Holy Spirit? Uh, when we look at chapter 4, verses 25, Therefore put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. 
So speak the truth. Don't lie to each other. Um, put away all falsehood. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin go down on your anger. Make sure you deal with any anger that you have with your brothers and sisters. Don't allow that to continue. Deal with the issues that are actually there. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. And I'm sure none of us do actually steal. But let him rather labor, earn his income and work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't swear. Don't say things that don't honour God. Don't say things that don't honour other people. If you do, you're doing things that grieve Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. If you hold any of those things, guess what? Grieving Holy Spirit. hope that's answered that. Thank you. Nick, you got the questions? I've got some questions, yes. Um, They're all over the floor. Oh. What do you do in life when you're unsure of where to start? That's the last one I've got in my hand. Well, the one I linked with what you just said is... Was that clear? Has anybody got any questions about what Charlie has just said or what, what it means, grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit? Clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you do, someone's asked, when you feel like you've been distancing yourself from God and you don't know the reason why? What do you do when you feel like you're distancing yourself from God? The question is not, what do you do when you think God is distancing himself from you? It's not you're feeling God's absence. It's you feel you're distancing yourself from God. If we're understanding that question correctly, then what you need to do, stop it. Next question. What do you do when you feel like you're distancing yourself from God and you don't know the reason why? Well, the chances are very high that the reason why is it's going to come down to ourselves, our own ego, our own pride, ourselves. That's why we we all distance ourselves from God. We want to do our thing. We have our agenda. We want to do it our way. And that's at the baseline of why... We distance ourselves from God. Adam in the Garden of Eden, when he disobeyed God with his new wife Eve, took of the fruit of the tree and what did they do? They distanced themselves from God. They hid. Oh, we still do it. Uh, when we sin, when we do our own thing, we hide. What do your kids do if you're a parent or a grandparent? What do your kids or grandkids do when they do something wrong? same thing they hide there's an element of defiance of assertion of their own will but at the end of it they if you're in a loving they don't want a loving relationship they don't want to disappoint you i got a little granddaughter she's two years old she's two years old that's a clue they call it the terrible twos they call it terrible twos because at two years of age, they start asserting their will. Well, she's advanced for her age. She's been asserting her will for about six months. And she's learned her first words. No. Nah. She speaks Australian. Nah. Yeah. And she's very strong-willed. And I just think, isn't God wonderful? that he's given my very strong-willed daughter a very strong-willed daughter. It's 
payback time is all I have to say. But Marnie, a little two-year-old, does the wrong thing and she knows she's doing it at two. And so do we. And that's why we distance ourselves from God because we want to do what we want to do. Our mum or our dad or our God says, don't do that. And we think they're just being bossy and domineering when in fact they're much wiser and smarter than us and they're trying to guide us in the best way to go. But we are so proud, we're so arrogant, we think we know better and we all have to make the same mistakes and we make bad choices, consequences, but our God, that we'll say several times tonight, is a God whose arms are open wide. I want you to come back. I love you so much. I made you, care for you, and he pursues us. So what do you do when you're distancing yourself from God? Well, does that concern you? And because you've asked the question, I assume it does, and therefore come back to him and talk to him and simply apologise. Sorry, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't like this. Can you help me? And he will, if you're sincere. But if you're distancing yourself from God and you don't know why and you couldn't give a fig about it, well, then you're making some arrogant, sinful, selfish choices that we all make. And God will let you. That's, I, I don't understand this at all. I do know this. He is sovereign and powerful and he made us and he lets us make choices. He lets us make choices. And there are consequences. Best way to live is under his authority, fully obedient to him. That's the best way. We're so arrogant. We think we can do better. But we can't. Anyway, that's all I got. Anybody else? I think in contact with um, some of the things that we actually do, especially in a church situation, we have a tendency to serve and the service becomes our God. So, so you can be in church, you can be serving, you can be involved in ministry. And if that becomes more than actually spending time with God, reading his word and getting to know him, you've actually made an idol of a ministry and you're worshipping that rather than worshipping God. And so we have to take a step back sometimes and say, well, what is taking up my time? What is, what is consuming me? And if you're in one of those situations where it's ministry, you need to take a step back from that. And many of you have heard me say, do one thing and do it well. I stand by that. Just focus on one thing. You need to have time that you can set aside and spend digging into God's word. It's all about getting to know God more and more. And as you know God, you'll hear his voice. You'll understand how you should be living your life, what you should be doing. And those promptings should never be ignored. You should submit to what he calls you to do. Yep. Yep, agreed. And just to follow that up, if that's you, if you ask that question or if somebody else asks a question, but that's true for you and you want help, then... We want to help. Uh, Whatever we can do, come and chat and we'll pray for you and journey with you and ask you, hold you accountable and travel with you through it. You know, we've, we've all done it. You're not alone. We've all started out on the path. We've all stumbled or we've all gone off into the fields, whatever. It's, you know, and we've all found our way back. And Yep, it's a journey. Next question. So uh, the next question is, what is the whole deal with the speaking in tongues? How does this happen? It's seen in Acts 2, but who, um, why do not all Christians experience it, experience it? Good question. Dave's got something to say on this. It's interesting, after I became a Christian, this was a, this was a question that I really wrestled with. 
because uh, I became a Christian back in 1976. I don't know the date, but it was 76. Um, and back then, some of you guys remember, some would remember here, the Pentecostal movement was kind of really booming ahead and Clark Taylor had his uh, Christian Outreach Centre happening and I got invited there by one of my army mates who also got converted. So uh, I was involved with that sort of stuff a little way and um, there was a lot of imbalanced thinking and, 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 and teaching on that uh, and some of the young people were so enthused about it all, they would be basically giving us the impression that unless you spoke in tongues, you were kind of sub-spiritual. You, you weren't quite the, the complete Christian if you didn't speak in tongues. And, and some would even go so far as to say, well, you're not even saved unless you speak in tongues. And that sort of stuff is so wrong. So wrong. Um, Speaking in tongues is a gift from God. It's not the gift. And these, the Pentecostal movement, some of them anyway, not all of them, but some of them, certainly put it up here when it's not up there. I think it's down here somewhere. And uh, anyway, so I wrestled with that a fair bit and, uh, and so on. But then I uh, found very helpful, obviously, by going to God's Word. Let's go to the Scriptures because often when I was in these particular places they never used to read the scriptures that much and teach about what this was about so let me quickly quickly just mention some scriptures to you you can follow these up yourself but I reckon it really helped me to understand this this particular gift and what it's about does everybody speak in tongues well my answer simply would be no and this is what the scripture says let me read it and I hope you know that that it helps Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 12 and then 7 to 11 now each to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is, a, there is given through the Spirit's message of wisdom. To another, uh, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. And then it says this, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and this is where I like it, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So there are some people whom he will determine uh, that he wants you to have that gift, others he won't. So, but it's his sovereign will as to whether or not everybody or you, for example, would speak in tongues. It's, it's just as he determines. Let me keep going. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, different types and different kinds of tongues. And then Paul says this, are all apostles? And these are rhetorical questions, aren't they? And the answer is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. I'm putting the no in, by the way. Do all have different, do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And that's what he says. Let me keep going. And uh, hopefully this is helping to answer that question. Um, this is 1 Corinthians 14 now, 2 to 4. For anyone who speaks in the tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. 
They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So someone who has that gift, it's really meant, I don't know, it's really meant to glorify God, to honour God, and it's an edification, not so much of the, of, of, of the church, but of the person. All right? It's, it's not, unless there is a, an interpretation given of that tongue, and unless it's spoken publicly, there are people in our church, I believe, who do speak in tongues. But normally it's a personal one for their own personal benefit, a language of prayer, a language of edification for themselves that God's given. Um, but it is, it is mysteries by this, the way the Spirit uses that particular gift. But that, let me keep going. But the one who prophesies, in other words, one who can foretell the word of God to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Um, so that's a greater gift. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, there it goes right here. That's what I've been saying. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. God gives you that for a reason, but it edifies themselves. Listen to this one. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So they're the ones that we should be striving for, not the ones so much that are for ourselves. And it's nice if God gives it. It's great. But the ones that God wants you to have are the ones that build up the church, that build up the body, that edify the body. You know, God gives gifts not for ourselves, but for others to build one another up. And then I love this one, 1 Corinthians 13 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So those gifts will pass away eventually. They're just here now for us. But when we are in glory, though I don't believe those gifts will be there. Love never fails. Love is the greatest of all. And uh, what, is that, what does Paul say in Corinthians 13? If I don't have love, I'm nothing but a noisy gong and loud clashing cymbal. Nothing. You need to have love. Love him. Love God. And then let him give the gifts that he wants to give to you. All right? I think that's the way to go. Sorry. That's, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, I'm a bit like David. I grew up um, with a lot of the Crusades coming through our town and things like that. And so it was seen that um, speaking in tongues was actually an indication that you had received Holy Spirit. Who's heard that? Where does scripture say that? What does scripture tell us is confirmation of receiving Holy Spirit? The fruit, okay? That's what scripture says, so you don't need to believe that we need to be speaking in tongues. In the book of Acts, whenever anybody came to faith, a group of people or an individual, then something happened with their mouth. And it could be praise, it could be prophecy, or it could be tongues, but something happened with the mouth. When the Spirit of God does come into you, he changes you. And for some people, they get this the gift called tongues. It's a language. And it's not a language the person necessarily understands. But it is a language. It can be tested, therefore, and it can be evaluated. It's a language. It could be a lost language. Paul even talks about an angelic language, whether he means that seriously or rhetorically. Um, but in the passage David quoted too in 1 Corinthians 12, when, he, when the apostle asked those questions, are all apostles, are all teachers, are all prophets, do all speak in tongues, do all work miracles? The question is asked in such a way in the Greek text where the answer required is no. So while David says he's adding the answer no, the only answer you can give to those questions is no. Paul is denying it. Not everybody speaks in tongues. I've prayed to receive the gift of tongues when I was a young Christian back in the 70s and I thought, yeah, it's the bee's knees, everybody's got to speak in tongues and I, I do speak in tongues, I speak in Australian. 
I was going to say English, but it's probably Australian. I don't have any other tongue. I don't have any other language. Um, I don't speak in Greek and I don't speak in, don't pray in Hebrew or anything like that. Okay, good question. Next. Last one. Um, what do you do in life, in life when you're unsure of where to start? What Begin do you at do? the beginning. <laughs> what do you do in life when you're unsure of where to start? What does the question mean? Is it talking about career? Is it talking about what do you do in life when you're not sure where to start? Job, is it? Not sure? So generally, so we need some clarification, I guess, on that. But generally speaking, what do you do in life when you're unsure? Well, make sure God's first. Most important question, most, most important decision. Who do I marry? What car do I buy? Do I buy a house? What career do I have? They're all secondary questions. Most important question. Where am I with God? And so begin with him. And the Bible tells us about how to begin with him and gives us some very clear guidelines. It says to us that, number one, we need to know him personally. So are you saved? If you're not saved, that's where you begin. Discover who Jesus is and what he requires of you and receive his forgiveness. If you are saved, second thing to do is make sure you're spirit-filled and make sure you're submissive to those in authority over you Make sure that you're serving. Make sure that you're being sanctified. Make sure that you are being um, fully available and prepared to suffer for the Lord Jesus. If all of those things are true in your life, God will be directing you. So you can do that. You can begin with God. Do I know him? Do I love him? Do I want to follow him? Do I want his will for my life? That's where to begin, asking those questions. Pastor Brendan, I think, wants to add something. I just wanted to add something real quickly there because I, I have an intuition that that question about where do I start in life if I don't know where to start and the question um, what do you do if you, are, if you feel you're distant um, from God or that you've distanced yourself. I have a suspicion they're from the same person and probably a young person. I don't know the person but I'm reasonably sure that's how that came out. And just as a, maybe a show of hands from those who are kind of older than the age of 30 in the room, uh, how many of you guys would say that most of the things you thought... How many of you guys would say that your plans worked out pretty much how you expected? Anyone? No, okay. So feel reassured um, if you're young and you're not sure how your life is supposed to look um, because you don't get to know that, really. You can have some reasonable aims and expectations, but God's going to take you on adventures, man, and it's going to be up and down and it's going to be uh, a challenging in, in ways there. But um, particularly this generation of young people have a a weird kind of choice paralysis because they have so many options available to them like never existed before. There's no more like leave home at the age of 14 and walk into the first like uh, job that they see and they get a job and they work there for, for 60 years and get a gold watch and then retire. Like it doesn't work like that. You, you get like blasted with education for 15 years and they say do anything you want forever. Um, and that's terrifying and then people say well I want to follow God, I want to do what he says. What's that supposed to look like? Uh, and, the, and the truth is that kind of enormous picture of you can do anything and that possibility is too big of a picture to operate in, in most places, in most circumstances. So um, 
focusing on, like, and God's given us smaller units to work in, so work in those. And the two to probably start with are your family and your church. Um, like, if you're going, what should I do with my life? And you look around at your family and you go, you know, I really don't have a very good relationship with my parents or I don't have a very good relationship with my brothers and sisters. Invest time in there. Figure out how you're going to do that better. Uh, devote uh, a lot of your prayer life and your, and your reading life. and your, your in, Invest yourself in making that as good as that can be because that's, an, that's a, like the core of your life, man, is like having that family together. And then just the slightly bigger unit, and that is how do I serve God in a local way? It doesn't have, you don't have to save the world. No one expects you to do that. Um, but this is a, an amazing place to start serving. And we've got stuff for you to do. Like if you want to do something and you're not sure but you're happy to do something, let me know. I will find you something. This stuff. Um, and you'll find that uh, like, uh, uh, some of that stuff won't work out ideally. You'll go, oh, I want to work in this ministry. Oh, I'm, I'm not at all gifted for that. Um, and then that's fine. And now you know more than you did before. And now you can maybe go into the opposite ministry. I wasn't that good at kids' ministry. Maybe I'll get involved in seniors' ministry. Um, and you can... You can, you can work out things that way by starting small and, and taking on responsibility. That's really, the I think, where I wanted to go with that ultimately is that if you're not sure where to go and you feel like you're distanced from God, there's a decent chance those are connected because God is the one who made you for a purpose. And if you're, if you're in line with God, if you are close to God, then you're following his purpose in a sense. And, like, and you can't be following his purpose if you're not close to him. It's like they're, they're almost coterminous. It's almost the same idea. What do I do with my life? The thing God wants me to. Um, and so those are tied up together. But if you're not sure exactly how to get moving because there's so many options and so much stuff to do, start taking on some responsibilities in your life. Um, I'd say start with your family and your local church. And then you'll have things that you are devoted to doing and you'll find you have more stuff to pray for and things to directly act on and pray for. It'll improve your spiritual life because you'll, you'll know kind of that you're doing Something, you know, something that matters to the people that God's put in your life and around you. Um, and that's an amazing way to start getting some movement. And then from there, who knows where you'll end up. Like you might be so good at that and that God can, God can do amazing things with you. Um, so that's what I wanted to say with that one. So that's the finish of the questions that we actually had for that particular series, but we don't want people to leave if they do actually have questions. So please come and speak to the pastors after the service. We're more than happy to answer questions at any time. We'd also like the opportunity to pray with you uh, if you'd like people to pray with you. Uh, did you have something you want to add, Pastor Darrell? Or I just want to read Proverbs 4. And then mm -hmm. You want to pray? Yep, I'll pray. In Proverbs 4 it says, My child, pay attention to what I say. It's the Lord speaking to us. Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Pay attention to what God says in his word. Hide it in your heart. Work it out in your life. Seek to understand it and be obedient to it. And you'll find God's blessing in your life and direction for your life. Amen. Amen. And with that in mind, if you need help studying God's word, we're more than happy to help with that as well. Let's just pray that I'm going to hand back to Duran. Father God, thank you so much um, for the series on hearing from you. And Lord, I thank you that you are a relational God. You want 
to speak with us. You want us to know your will and purpose for our lives. And thank you that you've spoken to me so many times in my life. Father, for those gathered here this evening, I pray they'll have open hearts and open minds to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that if they're struggling with this, that they will be willing to come and speak to a pastor and that, Father, we'll be able to guide them in the way that they can hear from you more clearly. So, Lord, we submit to you. Uh, We ask you for more of you and uh, we want to be guided and led by you for the rest of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.